Welcome to Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green, and with me, as usual, is Peter Constantin, good Hi, friend, colleague, and we are joining you from different houses where we are recovering from a day spent in ministry. I was able to reach out to our community with Peter once again, something I'm developing kind of an addiction to. Uh, he's a good guy, and you know, of course, it wasn't just us. We had a collection of a lot of churches, kind of like the show we did on somebody's roof, where we came together. And this time, instead of building, we were offering people all sorts of things. We had we were offering them food on one side of the complex we were in, and then on the other side, we were offering them clothing, blankets, gloves, things like that to get them ready for the cold. We were joined by all sorts of organizations. There was one whose name I can't remember, and I'm sorry for that. It's like coats for kids or something. And then we had the bear closet, which is they reach out to infants and their parents. We had Man of Food Bank. What's that? Man of Food Bank. Man of Food Bank provided a lot of the food that we gave out. We had the Holy Cow food truck that is always at our uh, location in Canton there on Thursdays. And so they happen to already be scheduled to be there. So the, a lot of the crowd that came also bought food from them. Um, all the volunteers got food from them and that supported pathways. And so we've just had a lot of organizations come together to do a great thing. Later on, you'll hear some interviews from that. And before that, Peter and I are going to have some discussions and, and Bible stuff. It was a day of hands-on ministry, to be sure. Uh, getting people ready, like Court said, for cold weather and for Thanksgiving, um, which is going to look different for a lot of people. And uh, a lot more, hopefully a lot more people will be celebrating in, in you know, just their small uh, groups or their small, you know, single family homes. And so uh, hopefully the food that was given out today will, will, go a long ways in, as far as supporting those smaller celebrations. Uh, so the scripture for this week, one of the scriptures in the lectionary for this week, uh, seemed to fit very well with the work that was going on today. And uh, we wanted to share that with you. So this coming Sunday is Christ the King Sunday. And that is the last Sunday in the Christian year, something people are often not familiar with. But uh, the Christian year actually begins with Advent, and that's the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. So whatever has a beginning must have an end. Um, don't quote me on that. That might not be true. I don't know theologically whether that's true or not. But uh, this is the last Sunday of the Christian year, Christ the King Sunday. And, and to, in this year, we are concluding the Christian year with Jesus' last teaching before he is uh, arrested in Jerusalem, before he celebrates the Last Supper and is arrested. So this is coming from Matthew chapter 25, and it's uh, verses 31 through the end, but I'm just going to read probably the first half of it. Is that all right, Court? That's fine with me. All right, listen now for the word of the Lord. Now when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. All the nations will be gathered in front of him, and he will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right side, but the goats he will put on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come. You who will receive good things from my father, inherit the kingdom that is that was prepared for you before the world began. I was hungry, and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? 
When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and give you clothes to wear? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And then the king will reply to them, I assure you that when you have done it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you have done it for me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So this is a common scripture uh, in many people's ears. Many people will quote Matthew 25. In fact, I believe there's uh, some organizations that are sort of built around this. There might even be an organization called Matthew 25. And this is what it's about. It's about serving the least of these, as the scripture says, because we see Christ in them, because Christ indeed is in or with these people. And, uh, you know, this is a... Um, well, Court, what do you think about that? What do you think about this idea that that Christ is in or with those people who are hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked, sick, or in prison? I have no problem with that. I'm a big believer in the fact that Christ is in, in all of us in some way, uh, that when we do unto others, we are doing unto christ well or unto the father because it's the children of the father these are god's creations i i don't love the term the least of these and i know mm-hmm. you got to be careful when you're a preacher and you're saying i don't like a term that jesus used but you know it's what not you, so, what don't you I, like about it well it's not so much that i don't like the term he used as much as it's the way we hear it mm-hmm. and we think people that are less than us and I think that's a problem because mm-hmm. they have no less value than anyone else. And yeah, how do we define value? Well, we start with ourselves and yeah. we say, okay, well, if you are not as well off as me, then you must be the least of these. And I don't like that because there's a lot of people that I'm not as well off as, and I don't think I'd be defined as quote unquote, the least of these. I mean, I get where it's going. I just, I just hate the way that we hear it and use it. So you know, it's not that I hate that Jesus said it, it's that I hate what's happened to it. Uh, but as far as your original question, which, what do I think about the thought that Christ is in all of them or us or whoever? Mm-hmm. I, I'm right there with you. I support that 100%. And I think we need to see people like that more often. And then maybe we would stop looking down on people that we call, quote unquote, the least of these. Yeah, I mean, uh, to me, this is an invitation, you know, for those of us who believe or at least say that we are living our lives seeking Jesus, trying to follow Jesus, it's an invitation to spend a lot more time with people that maybe we're uncomfortable with um, or people who are different from us. You know, people who, and I, you know, I'm speaking from a position of privilege, right? Because I'm not hungry and I'm not thirsty, or if I was, I could get food or water, you know? Mm -hmm. So uh, being in the presence, intentionally putting myself in the presence of people who are hungry, who are thirsty, um, who are worried about being cold this winter and needing clothes or food, that is an opportunity, or I'm trying to train myself to see that as an opportunity to be in the presence of Christ. So what I love the way you phrased that earlier on in your soliloquy there. You said uh, spending time with people who are different with me. And what is one of the toughest things, according to Christians everywhere, that they struggle with? And I think in a way, and this is the, the been in churches too long side of me. In a way, it's them trying to say their weakness without actually sharing a weakness. They're like, well, I don't spend enough time with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And because that way they don't have to say, well, I have this, this fault and this sin. and that. But anyway, be that as it may, that's one of the biggest things that people say that they struggle with is spending time with Jesus. Now, when they say that, that we say that, we generally mean in prayer. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, if Christ is in is present in all of these people, then every second you spend with them, you are spending time with Christ. Mm-hmm. And especially if you're if you're engaged in ministry, not necessarily to them, even with them, yeah. to someone or to something else. And so 
there, that's why I love the way you said it, focusing on spending time, because we have a built-in answer to the number one, I don't want to say complaint, but the number one most often revealed weakness in American Christians, according to themselves, mm-hmm. is that they don't spend enough time with Jesus. Well, there you go. There's your way out. Yeah. And, and it's, a, it's not, you know, it's not something that, that is uh, handed to us as like, here's the way that you do that. Oftentimes, there, there definitely is, uh, I think, from the pulpit and from other sources, other teachings, like kind of an emphasis for Christians to focus on that individual relationship with Jesus that they cultivate in silence, in prayer, in, you know, quiet time with the Lord. And so I have, uh, you know, I have a question about that, actually, about that individual relationship. And I think it's one that comes up here in the scripture. So if we go back and we look carefully right here at the beginning, it says, you know, this is a vision of, I think, it's pretty fair to say this is a vision of judgment day. Mm-hmm. It says when the human one comes in his majesty and all his angels are with him, he will sit on his majestic throne. And verse 32 says, all the nations will be gathered in front of him and he will separate them from each other, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So in this process of what we would consider judgment, right? There's a separation that happens, but the separation, at least as I'm reading here, doesn't seem to be at an individual level. It's at the level of nation, which, correct me if I'm wrong, Court, I believe in the Greek is ethnos, which means people groups. They don't have nation states like we do, but it also can't be reduced to just saying ethnic groups either. It's groups of people who are distinct from each other in one way or another. And we have to we have to recognize that the Christians that were receiving this gospel, we're trying to make themselves distinct from the uh, empire around them. They were trying to live differently. And so to me, this vision of Judgment Day has a lot more focus on how are we living as a community, especially as a Christian community, and how are we caring for our Christian brothers and sisters among us? And I would then expand that to say anybody who's hungry or sick or whatever, um, and I believe that early Christians also did that too, but you know, what do you think about that concept that we're talking in, in judgment about whole people groups rather than that individual focus. I think that is an interesting concept and looking closer at 32, I wonder if we're reading this right, because this, you know, you read it from what translation? Common English Bible. English. NRSV says all the nations will be gathered before him. And that's the, that's it for nations. Mm -hmm. Then it says, and he will separate people one from another now that very well could still be nationalistic and don't i mean the reason that christianity made it so big when it did is because of who constantine mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. constantine becomes a christian this is the way the story goes who's and constantine then, court the roman uh emperor okay uh, and then in 313 he issues the edict of milan and then everyone else has to be a Christian too, pretty much mm. because that's the nation is now a Christian nation, which right. is how the papacy is born and yada, yada, yada. So, um, so th- we shouldn't lose this, this idea of the nations because that very well may be what it's talking about, but we also have to realize that there is some individual responsibility because, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now I was, I was actually just going to make a joke about sheep and goats, but I'm just going to let that lie. And then, <laughs> yeah, hear it later, Court. I think that all the nations may very well be talking about no one gets out of this. Mm-hmm. Everyone is subject to this. all the people of the world. Mm-hmm. Will get out. 
And if you if you are the one that is gathering all the nations, that gives God, or in this case, the Son of Man or the human one, primacy above even the empire or mm-hmm. even the nations. Uh, and the reason I even thought about this because of what you were saying, you were talking about different ethnicities, not you know, ethnos is what you were talking about, ethnos rather. You were talking about the different ethnic groups and people groups and what was going on at the time this was written. And what that made me think of was when you said they tried to be distinct. And the first thing I thought of was how the empire, and this is probably a little bit before this is written, when they had a mass exodus of Jews from Mm -hmm. the Roman empire, they also included Christians in that because most of them looked like Jews because they were Jewish Christians. Mm-hmm. And then later by 90 to 20 years later, and mm-hmm. certainly by 132, it had shifted. And so you still have this group that calls themselves Christians, but they don't look the same. Mm-hmm. And they're not the same quote unquote nation, because there's a lot more Gentiles at that point, because after Jomnia, they started, I mean, in 90, Jews started either pulling themselves out or were pushed out. Mm-hmm. And so the the what is a nation question really comes to the forefront. And so if we look at this in terms of nationalism, which you got to be careful with, if you may hear my dogs barking upstairs, but if you look at this in terms of the nations and, and what does that mean? I don't think that you can define nations as we define them today, but. Absolutely not. I mean, it, that would be to use the big word anachronistic. Yes, it would. We can't take what we know of as a modern nation state and map that back onto scripture. Correct. Um, so, and, you know, the only reason I think it's important to bring that up is you often hear people say, well, this is a Christian nation. Well, a lot of times they get that from verses in the Bible that talk about theocracies and things like that. I don't think it's what God intended the way we use it. Mm-hmm. Um, all that being said, um, so we don't think about, nations in terms of of nations like we do today but the nations we have today are made up of what individuals and individuals and so we have to think about ourselves collectively and we also have to think about ourselves individually Mm -hmm. so either way you look at it i think this verse while it does make you think differently once you read that word nations i think this verse really doesn't lose anything whether you're talking about just God's primacy, being able to gather all the nations, all the people of the world together, no one can escape. Or if you're looking at it as collective versus individual, it still matters and it still has power because no matter how you want to see it, they're all getting judged. Yeah. No matter what community I'm a part of, no matter what people group I'm a part of, my group of people is going to be held according to this uh, account. And so I think we need to take uh, as broad of a, um, of a view as possible on this and as narrow of one as, as necessary, because as an individual, I need to be focusing. I, I personally think, and you know, you can contradict me if you want, Court, but I personally think that this list of, uh, of places where Christ identifies with people that we see in our world today this is a good way for me to evaluate how am I doing as a Christian individually and a good way for my little church out here in South of Canton little churches to evaluate how are we doing and to evaluate how is Canton as a whole doing or maybe just Christians in Canton first and then Canton as a whole and then the entire church, you know, and then maybe like the entire United States too, we can look at it that way. You can apply this at whatever level. And I think the lesson is the same that we need to be making sure that the way we treat those that are quote unquote less than us in whatever way we think we're actually encountering Christ, which who is the one that's on the throne. And that, that profound reversal should keep all of us Christians in check as far as thinking we're all that or something. Don't know that I've heard the phrase all that in a long time, but <laughs> I agree with everything you just said. Uh, and and it's, that's the power of this word nation is showing up 
Because whether you're looking at it at an individual level and you have to apply this standard to your life, so does the rest of the world, which makes up the nation. So it's, it's just, it's, it's got to, it, like you said, you can look at it in macro or micro, it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's take a little closer look. Um, so let me just read a little bit more here. So we'll go right into the, into the meat of it here. It says, then those who are righteous will reply to him, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and give you clothes to wear? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Well, court, I'm going to apply this to myself and to my churches, but I wonder you can pick whatever level you want to talk about. But how are we doing if we use this as a metric as far as um, our responsibility as Christians, if we believe ourselves to be in that righteous camp? Now, maybe we think maybe we we think we're not. Maybe I feel like a goat and I think we should speak to that, too. Um, But if you if if we think we're sheep, that we're in the, the righteous group, how are we doing? Pick a level, what whether individual or as a church hunger, thirst, uh, clothing, welcoming strangers, uh, feeding or caring for the sick, visiting those in prison. What do you think? We, we do have to pick a level and we have to pick a level because our churches do. And what I mean is a lot of people will not lift a finger individually, but they will open a checkbook and say, well, collectively our church has done this. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think that's, necessarily bad i want these ministries supported but if i am looking at this and thinking about on individual terms i sometimes have to stop and think well have i done any of this and i would hope that i have and so we have to pick a level to look at this because our churches in their function have self-picked levels Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, I don't know, Christianity, this is one of the things that most frustrates me about ministry and I love ministry. I love today. I'm a dog, dog tired, but I certainly love today. But one of the things that frustrates me the most about ministry is that it is so easy for people to forget that it is an individual responsibility because we have turned it into like a cafeteria style thing where, We just point to the ministry that we want to happen and we write a check and it gets done. And on one hand, great that they're, that it's getting done. But on the other hand, there's, we lose that personal connection Hmm. to, to Christ as we reach out to others who, like we said earlier, in some form have Christ in them. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's as far as how we doing. Well, some are doing great. Hmm. Some have some work to do. The church, I think over over years and years and years, over the life of the church, has done very well. And then maybe, uh, I don't know, sometime in the 30s, had kind of just signed over a lot of our ministry to the government. And I mm. think we lost a lot there. And so maybe we're not doing as well as we used to collectively. But I think a lot of people still are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, you know, as you were talking, it came... That when you talked about the, you know, the cafeteria list of things that we can do, I have I have a distinct memory that I want to share with you. It's when I first started to feel like some inexplicable pull of the Holy Spirit in my life. I was living up in Boston, and um, I was attending a church, but mostly just out of like needing some community. But uh, the Holy Spirit started working in my life, and. Uh, I remember the young adult group there was pretty active. Like we would get together, we would um, have brunch after church on Sundays. And um, at one point we started talking, well, we should do some like mission work. We should do some, um, some sort of outreach kind of thing. And it was very much like that. It was like, well, we could serve at the soup kitchen or we could do a, a, a project with a Habitat for Humanity or we could do. And there was just like these, it was like a, it was like a cafeteria, you know, it was like, well, what do we want to do? What do we want to do? Yeah. How do we want to serve? And 
I don't think I ever would have questioned that before the Holy Spirit started moving in my life, but something about that question just sounded wrong to me in that moment. And I said, whoa, 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 but like, but what is the work that's needed? There you go. And I was like, shouldn't we like ask around? I mean, we're a pretty young, young adult group or we haven't met that many times. Like, I'm sure there's other churches around here who have already been doing work or they know what's necessary or whatever. And people were like, hmm, okay, you know, and I'm not going to fault anyone or say anyone else wasn't hearing from the Holy Spirit. And I was, ooh, big, big deal. Peter Constantian is here. No, but for some reason, I felt compelled to like pick up the phone and start calling young adult groups in other churches and ask, what's going on with your church? What are y'all working on? What do you need? How can we work together? Um, and so I think that that's a really important question for all of our churches to ask now. And it's something that I definitely try to bring into my ministry work is like, before we go out and start doing, 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 have we done the work of listening? Have we done the work of reaching out and actually seeing what the needs are? Mm -hmm. uh, because I think that that actually is, is extremely important work, especially when we acknowledge that this is Christ that we're talking about, that we're serving. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, we need to ask uh, those people who we intend to quote unquote serve, what is the need really? And I think that the importance is, is more practical. It's not just that we don't want to pretend like we're helping and really we're just helping ourselves while well, well, that's true too. But also if you just go out and start doing without asking and listening, God put us here, wherever here is for a reason. Mm -hmm. And God wants us to serve in our here to meet the needs of that area. And so it's, it's very important to find out what the needs are. Yeah. Well, let me ask you on that then, Court. We're, we're recapping a day um, that, in my view, was a tremendous success. We had tons of food delivered, and all of it is gone. Yeah. I mean, there were cars lined up around several blocks. Mm -hmm. We had the Canton Police Department and some volunteers directing traffic. He's talking about himself. Yeah. <laughs> they gave me a vest, which was kind of nice. Um, and, and we had so many cars. They filled up both parking lots and all the food was gone. I mean, they produce boxes of what, of whatnot. I, I didn't even open one to see what was in there. I think there was like milk and milk and sausages and cheese and some more produce. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of hand sanitizer and I mean, just masses of food and it's, and it was all given out. So in my, in, in my sense, this was very successful, but I also, um, I also believe that the reason we had such a good response is because that listening piece had already been accomplished somewhere up, up the, up the upstream or whatever, that you knew the needs in the community and that you were able to get the word out about what was going on. So tell me, like, how how do we get to today, Court? And what was the, the work that has been going on that has We helped? actually got to today three summers ago. Mm -hmm. And now the virus has made it worse. Mm. But we got to today when um, a group came in that does mission projects all summer. And they, they needed a place to base it. And they found Camp Hope, which is a part of Canton, even though it's on the other side of Crusoe, which is weird. Now, if, you, if you're not from around here, that makes no sense to you. But Canton is where I live and work. And Crusoe is where one of Peter's churches is. And it's like a 14-minute drive, I think. Um, Crusoe is also part of Canton. Really? Yeah. Anyway, so there's this place way out there. And it's like this camp. And it used to be a summer camp. It looks just like you would expect in a horror movie. It used and, to be a YMCA summer camp. They've got the yeah. little cabins and the kind of a horseshoe around a baseball field. And there's a big, long cafeteria building. It's very yeah, it is. It is the cookie cutter summer camp. So anyway, it exists. And the town bought it when it when it when it when the YMCA or whoever it was that owned it at the time got rid of it. And they it's all that to say 
this this organization needed a place to base their mission projects and so they decided that since there's this camp here they'll use that and so they rent it every summer and they they have all these groups coming from all over and they were looking for a project and so when they called us and said hey we can get food just truckloads of food do you have a need for it and so we went out and tried to find the need and it was there and so we talked to the people of the community kitchen we talked to other organizations that were already dealing in food and they're saying yeah we can't give them enough and the first time we did it it was just crazy like we put it out on the radio but and and that got a good number of people there but then they started calling people that they knew who were also hungry and and it just snowballed and so we did this for a few summers the first one we did it was my first summer here and after that we started to see more and more the needs for food and so i that kind of took off my blinders and i started to notice more and more needs for food needs for education uh homelessness and there are tent cities all over these mountains and they don't not not all of them want you to help them but some of them need it and and do want your help but they're either embarrassed to ask it or they're scared you they'll, that if you help them you will then run them off from where they're living and so as i got to know these communities not just me by the way but uh gene who is one of the people that we interviewed today uh she was a big help in that she'd already found a bunch of them and, and showed me where some of them were anyway all that to say um the what happened today started years ago but the need has just grown and grown and grown and i don't know why the mountains are a draw for very very independent people but they are and that leads to a lot of homelessness and with that is a need for food and i do know why the mountains are often in in short supply of food and that's not because we don't have resources we have them abundantly but shipping and stuff like that you know the mountains are a natural barrier things just lag here and so um a lot of times this is where i'm getting at with all this like when coronavirus hit and it interrupted the supply chain for a while it took us a good while to recover and so we knew at that point that um food supply would be a big deal and so our church and we've maintained this partnership with manna has given away 40,000 some odd pounds of food before today. And mm. we've kept trying to do that because the more we do it, the more we keep those supply lines running. And so once we had the idea to repeat what we did last year with the food this year, the need was so much greater. And so I don't remember your question exactly, but that's how we, that's how today came about. Yeah. So we've, we have a, a history here in the community. You can't just show up and, and start, start doing stuff without getting to know the needs, getting to know the people who live here, get, building relationships. Doing the listening. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like we were saying, you know, it's important to listen and to be in the community and to build those relationships. And yet when we read a passage like this, I think it's very easy for us to jump to the conclusion that, well, as long as we're, you know, doing food drives like we did today, as long as we're handing out clothing, as long as we're uh, giving people water to drink, making sure they've got clean water, uh, as long as we're, you know, taking care of people who are sick. And by that, in this time, I would say means things like wearing a mask you know, staying home as much as possible, keeping track of your temperature if you need to. And, and you know, the other guidelines that we've been given, it seems like one that I'm aware of in my life is this last one about visiting folks in prison. I know for a fact that the early Christian community, actually, there were a lot of people who were imprisoned. If you think about it, most of the disciples spent some time in jail. Mm -hmm. and And I would like to say that that's not a problem these days, but actually it's a much bigger problem. It seems to me, I think the last count I heard is we have like something like 1.2 million people in prison in this country. Maybe it's even 2 million people in prison in this country. Mm -hmm. And why that feels like a big deal to me is that first of all, 
my church is not doing prison ministry. And I know a lot of churches do, but the separation that exists between the civilian or the folks on the outside, let's say, and folks on the inside is huge. Oftentimes, Mm -hmm. there's no communication going on except for folks who have family on the inside. And I know it, you know, knowing that that these people who are mentioned here are those who are Christ, I see a big hole in my own practice and a big opportunity, I would say, I guess, to hear from Christ by getting in contact somehow with folks who are in prison. Because we got to believe that folks on the inside, there's plenty of them who are Christian too, which means Mm -hmm. that the body of Christ exists on both sides of that wall. And uh, I know I need to do more in that regard, but it's just, I haven't figured out how to do that in this area yet. But that's something where I feel like I'm still lacking. What do so you, one of the, what do you say ahead. about prisons and, and how we, what, you know, what our responsibility is to folks who are on the inside? So prisons were designed specifically with one purpose in mind, and that is to separate people from the inside from people on the outside. And they're very good at that. And I say that to say that it's it's difficult. I mean, obviously, it's it's supposed to be impossible for the people on the inside to access the outside. But it's very difficult also for people who maybe want to reach out to those in prison. It's difficult for them to access the inside. And so I get it. But... Number one, I've been through some prison chain, uh, prison training uh, for prison ministry, and one of the things I noticed throughout through all those was that if there are believers on the inside and the outside, it means that the church it does not stop at the prison walls, which means that missions really should not stop at the prison walls or fences or whatever you call it. Um, but the the thing that gets me most of all when I think about our lack of, of outreach to prison. Okay, we have a built-in excuse for why we may not as individuals go into a prison setting to to minister to people. But that does not excuse us for the fact that we continue to push these people away, to shun them and to avoid them and certainly not minister to them if we don't inflict harm upon them when they get out. Mm. You see they go in And my biggest um, point of contention with our penal system is that every sentence turns out to be a life sentence Mm. because it follows you. You can't get a job. Mm -hmm. And and what do you do then? Um, And that is, in my opinion, cruel and unusual punishment, but that's not a biblical thing, so I'm not going to dwell on it. But I will say that as the church... If we are not welcoming people with that, you know, stench of prison, for lack of a better phrase, on them, then, okay, we have a, an excuse for why we may not be going into the prison, but we, we, sh- we don't have one for how we welcome or don't welcome people when they come out. Mm-hmm. And I think that is the one of the biggest ways that the church has failed, if not to be the church, then at least to be a refuge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I'm reading this passage, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I have a responsibility as a Christian to try as, as best as I can to somehow bridge that divide that exists and that is intentionally set up to, to isolate and to separate because the body of Christ is on both sides of the wall. And we know this about, um, we know this about institutions like, like prison uh, and other institutions that intentionally separate people that it's going to take extra work to cross that boundary. But I see here in this passage a, a sort of a, basically a command in a way, a commandment to, to do as much as we can to try to cross that divide when it's a physical barrier 
to try to, to visit as much as possible, to send letters. But also, like you said, when folks are on the outside, you can be on the outside and still be in the system. Yes. That becomes a barrier unto itself uh, when you've got, you know, uh, parole officers or they're late, you know, lately they're talking about, you know, more like uh, house arrest type situations with like trackers and ankle bracelets and stuff like that, that, that it creates this whole prison outside of the walls. And as Christians, we got to get, we got to be able to get past that and get over that and let, um, you know, we have to, we have to work on our, our presuppositions, our prejudices, to be honest, that's part of it. I think that's a big part of it. And it's, it's not, I think it starts when we stop thinking about it as people as ex cons. Mm -hmm. And instead we can start thinking of them as no longer cons. Mm -hmm. Um, And the distinction is tiny, but to say ex con means you're still carrying around the stigma of who you used to be. And there is no grace in that. Mm -hmm. Having said that, if you, if you look at someone and you see a human being who messed up, has done their time, which really is none of our business, but has done their time and is now something else, well, that's the gospel. I mean, that is the ministry that Paul talks about. Or I'm sorry, the mission that Paul talks about. God comes in and changes us from what we were to a new creation. And if we can't see others like that, then I'm... I have to wonder if there's any of that in us at all. Yeah. That gives me pause. Yeah. I, I was in a prison class in a seminary. So we would go into a, a federal prison near, uh, near Durham every few weeks. And we would have class, half the students were seminarians, half were folks who are on the inside, who are also working on a certificate program through the seminary. And, um, and one time I was talking to small groups and this one guy said to me, you know, he'd been in prison for like 20 years, I think. And he said, you know, I, I, I realized that I, I've got a debt to society that I've got to pay. And I stopped and I said, whoa, 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 whoa. You've been in prison for 20 years. And I don't even know what you did. And I can't think of anything that you owe me or yeah. anybody else on the outside. You know, there's, I think this scripture tells me that we owe something to folks who are on the inside. We have a responsibility and we owe a debt to Christian society to reach across that divide as much as we can. And to, and to not only offer, but be the grace that God wants them to receive. So speaking of grace, that's where I want to, that's where I want to bring this conversation. You are the master. What's that? That you are the master of transitions. Here we go. Civil engineer of conversations, <laughs> building bridges all over the place. Let's go to grace. Here's the thing. If scripture was just a checklist, it would have been obsolete the day that it was written down. Mm-hmm. Scripture is a living, breathing conversation. And we believe, I personally believe, that the Holy Spirit inspires this scripture again when we read it. Inspired mm-hmm. it once when it was written, inspires it again when we read it. But it's easy with a passage like this to look at it like a checklist. But I think if we do so, not only do we kind of come up with a very simplistic list of how we're supposed to act and behave, but we also miss grace. We miss a big part of, in fact, maybe the most important part of the story of Jesus Christ, which is that none of us deserve to be called sheep. None of us deserve to be called righteous. It's only by God's grace that we are welcomed into that flock. So have you encountered, Court, a kind of reductive, like the Bible is a checklist, get this stuff done, and then you're good to go kind of Christianity? And how do you bring the conversation towards grace when you meet that kind of uh, perspective? Well, sometimes I have to fight the temptation to make that my perspective. Although, I mean, you know me well enough to know that that's not natural to me, but it does. I mean, it creeps in 
every now and then on all of us. And I, I think that's a product of modernity, really, mm. um, even before post-modernity. But we, we do often want to reduce things. We, we compartmentalize and we reduce, and that just makes the world easier for us. So it's easy for that to happen. But when I think of grace, I think that just completely blows that up. Because if there is a checklist of do's and don'ts, then it makes grace irrelevant. Mm-hmm. And now I, I got to be careful saying this because, you know, the, the Ten Commandments and the other 603, they were, they, they were a type of God's grace given to us so that in our relationship, our saving relationship with the Father, we know how to act. Okay. So on one hand, there is grace in that. But if you look at Paul, who over and over again says, you know, the law just exposes your sins. It doesn't save it, save you from it. And he's right. Then I don't know how you can can live with this idea that a checklist is all you need. I know it's easier, but when you dig down deep into it, it, it doesn't fly because we are expected to be more than just a life spent doing rights and doing wrongs and figuring out which one outweighs the other because God made us in God's image. So we're more than checklists and we were expected to live abundantly and to give grace as God in whose image we were made gives it abundantly. Mm -hmm. In other words, if we want a complete and fulfilling life, then we got to look past black and white, right and wrong, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And I think, you know, this scripture is teaching me today that um, one place to look for grace and to ask for grace is in our service, because I know that we're not always going to get it right. And I no. think we need to be honest about that, that even that, you know, there's been a book written about this called Where, When Helping Hurts. You oh, know, yeah. There's ways that we can get it wrong as we try to do the right thing. And if we really believe what is written here in Matthew 25, then the people we need to ask for grace from, you know, the people that represent Christ are the people that we are quote unquote serving with our ministry. Let's listen to a little bit of what we heard today from folks out in the field. And then we'll, uh, we'll circle back around and maybe we'll have a concluding thought or two. It's Court Green with Pastor Potluck, the pa- the podcast that you've come to know and tolerate. Peter Constantian is here as well, but he's not going to be in this conversation. Hey, Nancy. And I am going to, I'm about to set the stage, and then I'll introduce who I'm going to be talking to in just a minute. We are at my church, Canton First Baptist Church. I am in the fellowship hall where we're about to give out coats to all kinds of people who need coats and other warm items. In what is now becoming an annual event, we did it for the first time last year, and I'm here with the event's originator, and that is Gene Paris. So, Gene, when I throw this microphone in front of your face, I want you to introduce yourself, and then I'll ask you some questions. Good morning. This is Gene Paris. Uh, we're here at uh, the church getting ready to give out hundreds of coats and uh, socks and scarves and bargains and uh anything gloves anything that you need to keep warm for the winter we even have uh, bed clothes we have a sleeping bag we have co- uh, comforters blankets so we've got it all and we will give you and we will give you some russian tea or some coffee as you go through all right so uh, i'm gonna take a break and let you talk to these people and then i'll, I'll, I'll start asking you some questions we are starting to get some customers so i am going to ask gene a few questions as fast as i can and then we will be able to leave her to get to it. All right, let me talk to you. Hold on. I'm asking my first question. Tell me about the uh, how you decided to do this. Last year, it was around Thanksgiving, and you called me up and asked, could we have a coat drive? What put that idea into your head, and how did it develop? Well, in my position as uh, the founder and director of uh, Drugs in Our Midst, I'm very aware of needs in the Haywood County area. And we uh, saw lots of people uh, who did not have coats, who needed coats, who needed uh, some other items. And I asked Court, can we do this? You know, that should be easy. Well, it turned out that we got so many donations, and I think we've done the same this year, that we had to have the coat drive twice. 
So are you saying that there will be another one of these this year? Uh, there's an awful lot of coats in there. If if we don't have lots and lots of people, we'll have leftovers, and they'll still be good items. Uh, we have amazing items here, big name brand items, and some coats, lots of coats that have never been worn. So talk to me about that, you, this, this fact that you have a lot of coats. Can you talk to me about the generosity of your neighbors and in this community? Oh, my gosh. The people yesterday, we thought we were through, and we probably got as many coats after we thought we were through putting them out as we had already out. So we are really, really full up on coats and uh, other items, and uh, we appreciate it, and we hope you'll come down and join us and uh, get what you need because if there's anything you need in the clothing, uh, warm clothes, we've got it. So if you think about this event, this is the last question because I know you got to get to it. So if you think about this event, on one hand, you could look at it and see negative where you see a big need out there. But on the other hand, you could see the way the community responds and see a positive. So what do you see as far as need versus hope? Well, I think there is need in this uh, community. I think that uh, all the churches in uh, Haywood County are becoming well aware of that, and there's lots of uh, people doing lots of different things to help people in need. But uh, right now we feel like that before it really gets cold and wintry and maybe even snowing, that uh, these people, and particularly those people who are homeless, need a place to uh, stay, and they need something to keep them warm and that's what we're trying to accomplish here but uh, we also uh, see that the, there's so much hope for our communities because there's so many people uh, getting on board now to help with different items and hopefully we're going to be working on housing for uh, these different people that's a big need in this community thank you Jean so you just heard an interview with Jean and now I'm here with fellow pastor from over the hill, Erin Yao, and I'm going to ask her some questions first. How you doing? I'm good. I'm glad to be here. So you here is no longer down in the fellowship hall where they're giving out coats. You are up here at this upper parking lot on the other side of our church where we are also giving out food and hand sanitizer and a few other items. So the food hasn't even come yet. So far, your experience is kind of limited but what do you think so far well you know so far everyone that's here is excited to help and to feed people and I love that what I'm hearing is we don't ask questions we're here to feed people and if they say they need food we say okay and that's what it's about in my mind is we share the love of Christ by doing what he tells us to do to feed his sheep so speaking of feeding the sheep, we had an earlier conversation. Hang on, I want to make sure this is recording. It is. Um, we had an earlier conversation, and this is going to take a complete turn away from everything else we've been talking about. And in that earlier conversation, you were excited. Do you want to tell the listeners what you were excited about? I'm excited about uh, Church Sunday. We're going back into our sanctuary for the first time since March. March 15th, right? Yes, and I wasn't here then. There was a transition in the end of June, and uh, I still have not led worship and been in the sanctuary with my people. So it, it's a really weird feeling to have been here that long without being in worship together. So talk about that weird feeling. I, I understand it's weird to preach to no one, and I also understand that it's weird to preach outside every time, especially when it's cold. So what do you have any anxieties or nervousness about this are you just glad to be back in the sanctuary or what, what's going on in your mind right now so it, it's really a mix i'm excited to be back in the sanctuary um, a little nervous about you know who's going to come who's not going to come um and you know a little bit of that self-consciousness like what are they going to think of me i mean most of them have heard me lead worship by this point but something about being in that space together it, it's exciting and a little bit nerve-wracking well if you're like me you've probably already practiced your sermon from the pulpit have you done that yes yes i have <laughs> it's good to know that we have some commonalities court green here again i'm with keith and bryson and this is a grandfather and grand grandson, and they are here to help with us, or not help with us, help us today with this 
food giveaway. We're on the food side where we're outside and freezing cold. So I'm going to talk to Keith first, and I'm going to ask you a Bible question. Okay, so Matthew, in today's lectionary reading, talks, it's the, it's the famous scene where Jesus is talking to the people, and he talks about being hungry and thirsty and naked and in prison, and um, says that they clothed him, fed him, gave him something to drink, visited him in prison, and they say, when do we do this? And he says, what, do you remember? When you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. There you go. So what does being out here today in the freezing cold, uh, trying to help others, does, does that have any effect on how you understand that passage? We don't know who we're helping, but uh, what we're doing here today, we're helping others that uh, need, need our help. So in a way, we are doing it to... We're doing it to the least of these that Jesus was talking about. The least of these are brethren. All right, and now, thank you, Keith. Keith, by the way, how many churches were you a pastor at? Seven Baptist churches in my 53 years of ministry. So this is a man who knows what he's talking about. All right, so now I'm going to go, I'm going to skip a generation and go to his grandson. This is Bryson. Bryson, why aren't you in school today? Because of uh, the coronavirus. We, yeah. have a, we have a split schedule. So we get to use him as slave labor because of the coronavirus. So I guess the virus isn't all bad. I'm just kidding. It sucks. But anyway, uh, Bryson is here and lending us his free time on his split schedule. He, in his other life, when he's not here volunteering, he's a Pisgah High School senior, right? Yes, sir. And so he is, yes, go Bears. Uh, he is donating his time, and we appreciate that. Uh, is this the first time you've done something like this? Um, something like this, yes, but we helped, me and Mom helped with the Halloween and the delivering food to the houses. So it's not his first time volunteering, but something on this large of scale, it is. What do you think of the experience so far? I like it so far, just like helping people. I will say this, Bryson showed up today, it's 24 degrees, and he showed up in a t-shirt, and so we had to borrow a coat from the coat drive, but now he looks comfortable, he's smiling, he must be feeling all right. I'm feeling great. Police jacket. Uh, Peter's adding commentary as we go along. Um, I might touch base with y'all again as the thing goes on uh, to get a seasoned veteran's opinion as well as a rookie's opinion. So what you can hear in those interviews is, number one, that people kind of found joy in working together in working for a good cause and in serving the kingdom. I love the fact that it was a lot of people working together that were strangers. I don't know if you could hear that in the interviews before any of this happened, but they met one another and they worked together. Well, one of the, one of the things we talked about earlier was this reductive tendency where we reduce things to a checklist. And I want you to know that while in ministry days, quote unquote, or ministry activities or ministry projects, because things are so reduced down, it's very easy to do that. But having said that, once you get to know these people and you see in their souls how important it is to them, that really comes through. I don't know whether it came through in the interview or not, but you could see it if you were there in person. Just wanted to let you know that for posterity's sake. Court, thank you for doing those interviews and uh, for talking with a few people that we were working with today, again, I think it was a, a beautiful event. I want to say that um, this was the first large-scale giveaway that I participated in when I started my ministry in Canton last year, was this one around Thanksgiving. And that was an eye-opening experience for me for a reason that maybe I didn't share with you, Court, and that is that there were folks from my church who were in line and, and got food for themselves. And I, I think didn't realize until I saw that. And I, and I saw, you know, folks from my church that we really are a church that's on both sides of this quote unquote divide. And if we're not careful, we can make it into an us versus them. We can do the whole, we're the Christian church, so we're the ones who give charity, and here's these other poor people who are receiving. 
I, I'm much more careful now when I talk about the work that we're doing, because I know that my churches are on both sides of mm-hmm. people in need and people who have. And I love that actually about my church. I believe that that's the kind of church we're called to be, that there's no shame in asking for help and there's no pride in giving it. Mm-hmm. It's something that we do for one another in myriad ways in many ways. And food and clothing are just two of those ways. Um, So anyway, I really enjoyed the work that we did today. And uh, this scripture was definitely on my mind throughout the day. So thanks for joining us. We hope that you enjoyed these reflections from Pastor Potluck. I'm Peter Constantian. I'm Court Green. We'll see you next week. Peace.